Welcome to Michigan Hockey Cast 5.1, where losing almost all of your stars to the NHL is necessary for tomorrow's to begin to shine. start with a question what is more believable michigan football is a top four team or michigan hockey is a top six team um see and this is sort of the response i wanted is it is not obvious uh to me it it isn't um right but that michigan football great year last year has started this season pretty well and people are starting to have really good feelings going forward about not just the team but the program Michigan hockey last year has their, we have all the pieces ever. If it's not this year, then when, and they get close, but don't really finish. Everyone is mostly disappointed. And then everyone is like, you know, all the players, well, most of the players are like, all right, thanks. You know, we gave it a couple of runs. Now we're going to go make a bunch of money in the NHL. And now what do we do? We don't have anyone, but the recruiting class looks good. They get a few certain good pieces back and you're like, well, maybe there isn't going to be much of a drop-off. That's what I have come around to in right. my time evaluating the roster. So it, is, it seems like Michigan, the overall picture, could, should, might, hopefully, will be a top 10, maybe if things go well, a top 5 team by the end of the season. It's all about how long it takes to gel. Right. <clears throat> So obviously we've done a podcast about all the players that left last year, and that was big news. We then had a summer podcast where um, we had a, a <laughs> regime change of sorts, even though <laughs> we're kind of wondering how much. Anyway, we won't get into all that, but um, we'll just do a quick little catch up on Nerado. So Pearson is let go. Uh, late summer, we did that podcast just not too long ago and Brandon Nerado is hired. You and I are both pretty high on him. I think we're hopeful, hopeful. Yeah. Um, and he is technically the interim, but does not seem to be that because uh, he's hiring a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, you have to, because there were vacancies. A Well, sure. But the people that he's hiring seem to be his people. And he wouldn't hire other people's people. Well, if this is a puppet interim, right, I see. then you I would see. say, okay, we need a new director of hockey ops. Ward, you hire, <laughs> you know, someone you know, something. right? Whereas Nerado brought in Topher Scott, who is a guy he worked with and co-authored articles with. Um, so that's like very clearly one of his guys. It is an, in, like, yes, you're right. It is an interim in name only. It seems like if things don't go poorly, he'll probably be named as the coach, I, I would guess. Like, this is me speculating. It's not like I've heard anything. It feels like we're on the same page about this. You know, he's hired a, a bunch of new people, and it seems like he's having a role in the process of hiring those people. And, yeah. you know, that's, again, that's not something that you would really have if this is Barry Alvarez being brought out as <laughs> to coach the Outback Bowl, right? Like, <laughs> what a what a week to bring up Barry Alvarez, Alex. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think I, I it that would be something if Ward Manuel was puppet coaching this team. I don't 
I, I don't, I don't really want to dig into all of that. That would be, that would be pretty loaded. Anyway, um, so I think we're both pretty happy with what Narado's done so far. It seems like even just people that we know, I know a number of people just in the athletic department have all told me that like he's. You know, he's a good dude and everyone seems to like him. So it's not like they're bringing in a guy who's setting things on fire and, you know, everyone's like, all right, you know, after a few months, we're going to finally get rid of this guy now, you know? Yeah. So, all right, let's get into previewing the team, which is why you're all listening. So normally we start with the forwards, but they're almost all new people. So we're going to start in reverse order. And I thought we'd go defense and goaltending because probably two of the biggest keys on the team or will be in that section and we can get to them first. Uh, the first obviously is Luke Hughes, who is it returns in his, for his sophomore season. He had uh, a ridiculous freshman year. I think might even be understating it a little bit. Um, obviously a, a few things on the back end to clean up and he's going to need to continue to improve probably why he's back for another year. Uh, but 17 goals, 22 assists for 39 points in 41 games for a freshman defenseman. I mean, that's that's insane, right? I mean, so can he be Kale McCarr? Um, probably not exactly, but uh, you know, he's the star of this team. And something I noticed when I was writing the preview pieces is looking at his stats from last year. His point totals had a noticeable bump uh, when the Olympians were away. Yeah, because which... well he got moved to the top defense right. pairing. Right. Owen Power leaves, he gets the better power play assignments, which we can debate whether he should have had those in the first place. But mm. um you know his point totals went up and, and part of that was that two of the four games they played during the Olympian period were against Michigan State, which obviously is going to help in being a a, a time you can pad your numbers. But overall, you know, he is a really good uh, offensive defenseman and is going to drive a lot of offensive play in the transition game and now getting bumped up to power play one you would expect to see his statistical contributions and scoring clip go up even further which is pretty exciting because he was just under a point per game last year what i don't expect is the goal totals to be as high because there's yeah. going to be some Shooting percentage related drop off there. He shot 17%, which is a crazy high number for a defenseman um, en route to scoring those 17 goals, which was among the most ever for a defenseman in the program's history. So I would think something more in maybe the 10 goal range is more likely for this season, but that may be paired with uh, 40 assists instead of 22 like last year. Yeah, I I think that's going to depend on who he's passing to and if those guys put the puck in the net which will be more in the next segment I think the one thing that I would debate with you about it is you know he got a lot of his chances off the rush and yep. in McCarr fashion when he gets going and it gets out of the zone I mean obviously there's going to be only a handful of guys in college hockey that are going to be able to skate with him you know both up and back and then also side to side but you know, he, I still think they're going to not put a leash on him, right? Like, if he sees that opening, it's like, go, man. No, and I mean, to your point, I believe 14 of the 17 goals he scored last season were at even strength. So that lends some credence to the nature in which those goals were being scored. Yeah. And obviously, if you're getting a lot of high-danger rush chances like that, you're going to shoot better than the average defenseman given the shot quality and where those are being taken. So 
again, I think his shooting percentage will still be rather high for a defenseman. I just expect some degree of reversion, and then there should be a bunch of secondary assists he'll pick up just from being on the power play, you'd think. Yeah, that that's true. And, and I mean, so defensively, though, um, he was okay at times. Um, he wasn't too bad too many times, but there were times when he did kind of get worked and guys would go by him and it seemed like his, not just his positioning, but his balance and ability to just maybe feel comfortable in those situations looked to be not overly consistent, I guess. Now with Narado's background of being basically a skills guy and skating and positioning being arguably a skill, I mean, you would kind of hope and expect that this would improve to some extent? Uh, potentially, although I think that that maybe is perhaps not necessarily the skills that Narado was teaching. I would say you would look for him to have a bigger impact, like making a Marcus Stapa a better passer or, you know, mm. better hands, things like that. Then, okay. Because a lot of de- defensive work is innate in some ways and your ability to read the play and... um like I would almost think that the person who's going to help him more is like a, um, which could be Nerado to some degree, but like a film, um, like a video coach. Yeah. Um, just to see, have just showing him where. Right. Okay, in this situation, this is what you're looking for. Um. So I don't know. I I doubt that Luke Hughes will ever be a good defensive defenseman. Uh, in the NHL, uh, it's possible he could be decent in the NCAA. Um, we'll see if that comes along, but. As is the case with a guy like him, you're probably going to have him uh, be paired with someone who uh, can potentially, you know, make up for that. That's kind of how that works. Uh, well, so his buddy last year, his quote-unquote babysitters, we joked at times with, it was Jacob Truscott. He who obviously might not be this year based well, on that's, well, the exhibition. Well, so they pairs. didn't play, right? I mean, like, like so he's Houston, in... So these were the pairs. We'll read these off and we'll get okay. to these players. So they were Truscott and Casey. Luca Fantilli and Steve Holtz, Jake Harrinen and Keaton Pearson, and then Johnny Druskinis as the seventh defenseman. Looking at that, I would uh, wager that Fantilli's spot next to Holtz is where Edwards will be. And I would wonder if Karenin's spot next to Pearson is where Hughes would be. And that they use Triscott with Seamus Casey on the top Well, pair. that's, that's or, what I was that thinking. Was because, the top pair in the exhibit. I mean, because that's, I mean, when we get to Casey, he is, he's not going to be Luke Hughes, I don't think, but he's in that mold. And so, right. and here's the big difference. He's a right shot defenseman. Triscott okay. is a left shot. Last year, you had lefty lefty with him and Hughes with Casey now representing the only sort of puck mover offensive defenseman. That's a right shot on this team you can mix and match and that you can do Triscott and Casey and you get the handedness correct. And you can do uh, Hughes and Karen or Karen Pearson and keep the handedness correct. I see. So let's move on to Truscott because he is also a returner. Um, he spent, well, we just kind of talked about this, but he spent the majority of last year working with Luke Hughes and allowing him to do what he's going to do. You think, and I saw this too, was that, he could be Casey's sort of rock on defense, um, which is kind of what he is. He's more of a, you saw some of his numbers kind of go up a little bit last year, his assists. He had two goals and 15 assists. And actually, you know, 
and maybe this was because of context and everything, but I think he had three assists in the exhibition. So, you know, sometimes those are random depending on if they're primary or secondary, but um, he's going to be the guy that is going to be on the other side. Michigan is probably going to turn a couple, if not three of their forwards, or I'm sorry, defensemen forward and allow them to move and skate and create chances that you think that that's what Narada will probably want to do. Um, especially when you have that kind of talent and guys like Truscott are necessary to be back there when that goes sideways. And that's kind of what Truscott was for Hughes last year. He's kind of found a really nice role for Michigan doing that. And now he may be able to do that for their new freshman. Yeah. I thought Truscott had a, a nice sophomore season. I thought he was better than his freshman season. And some of the issues that popped up as a freshman were less, um, apparent as a sophomore so that's nice and you know this is a big year for him year three as a junior but rounding that turn to uh kind of when vancouver would have to sort of make a decision about what they're going to do with him and because um, he is a fourth round pick right i believe fourth or third he was a sixth maybe, oh was he that know. far down no maybe okay. it was fifth i don't know he was anyway. he was mid to late mid rounds yeah um and if he can have a good season can cobble together a nice year and he plays on a team that a lot of scouts will get to see that it could potentially be the launching pad for him to then move on to the AHL next season. So, and, and that's sort of his would be his role though professionally going forward is probably as the defensive defenseman more so. Well, right. If yeah, if you're only scoring 22 points in 66 <laughs> NCAA games, you're just probably not going to be a scorer in the NHL. So that's probably true. Um, and the other thing with uh, Triscott is he's six foot one, and Hughes obviously is also a little bit bigger. But that uh, Triscott size is potentially why he could be advantageous to play with Casey, who is at five ten. Right. Uh, weight wise, they're actually identical for some reason. Triscott is just skinny, I guess, but he does have <laughs> that ability to, you know, use the size a little bit more and and you know perhaps hold his own around the net a little bit more. Yep. Uh. Like you said, an interesting year for him. I think that he clean, like you said, he cleaned up a bunch of the stuff from his freshman year into his sophomore year. Good chance for a jump year and just another chance to showcase um, how he can enable sort of a younger or potentially a, a enable a younger puck mover to go get him while he kind of holds it down in the back. Um, the next guy I have on the list is kind of our guy that we liked last year was a little bit of a roller coaster, kind of like a mini Luke Hughes is Ethan Edwards. He was a drafted guy as well. Mid round um, showed a little bit of uh, ability to get up and down the ice, scored a couple goals, moved the puck really well, not at the same caliber of, H- of Hughes, obviously, but he's a guy that can create rushes and join forwards going forward. Um, Still has some stuff to clean up on the back end, but he'll be entering his sophomore year. Uh, There's plenty of time for him to work some of that out. And I think that his role will be increased because he was mostly on the third pair last year as they tried to figure out who they want to put together on like near the bottom of the depth chart there. But um, it seems like he's probably going to be in the second pairing. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, I'm curious if they stack the pairings like they hinted at in the exhibition what we talked about i'm curious to see how the minutes would break down um mm-hmm. across those three because i especially even strength obviously because i don't know exactly what would be the top second and third pair honestly but um 
With Edwards, I'm excited for his sophomore season. Um, yeah. He came on strong in the second half of the year, had some really good moments in February into March in the tournament, and, and you saw some of the upsides and the downsides. He had a rough regional final against Quinnipiac where his size concerns, undersized defensemen, where that kind of came into play. And at the time, that was when I said, you know, who would be really nice to play with him? Well, it happens to be the person that Narada was putting uh, with Edwards in the exhibition, which is Steve Holtz. And that's kind of the, the neat thing about Edwards is that if you had someone who could be a little bit more of a thumper in the defensive zone and make up for his one big weakness, which is that like we saw him in that Quinnipiac game, just get ragdolled like behind yeah. the net. And if you have someone who can counterbalance that and you can really let Edwards just kind of go and, and do it, then, you know, there's a really intriguing skill set there and in the way he aids the transitional game and all that uh, sort of thing. And, you know, we'll get into Casey later when we start talking about the freshman, but then that kind of puts a puck mover and a defensive defenseman on each pairing, which right. a lot of times ideally you would like, right? Well, and that's how I, I mean, when we talked in April, the season finale before the surprising bonus episode, the, or not that surprising. <laughs> the pairings I had drawn up, I was not paying attention to handedness at the time. And so I had Pearson, Casey, Triscott, Hughes, and then Holtz Edwards. And I look at it, I'm like, well, Casey's right shot. And so you can just arrange it, Triscott, Casey, and, and Hughes and Pearson. And then all of a sudden you have left, right, perfectly balanced. So I think that's the optimal outcome because you didn't necessarily have that last year, right? Because... You had Power and Blankenberg together at different points. That was kind of two guys that, you know, like to move up uh, a little bit. And yeah. then at times you had Blankenberg Edwards, which was a similar story. <laughs> and so. Well, they just had a bunch of puck movers last year. So they're right. going to yeah. have to play together. Right. And so this year you have the potential to really balance left, right, balance size, and balance playing style in a way that I think is very appealing and very NHL like, which helps Narado as someone who has sniffed around the NHL circuit, uh, which I don't know when we'll ever talk about this, but that is something I'm curious about with him as the coach compared to Mel Pearson, is that Mel was a hockey college hockey lifer, and yeah. Narado never played in the NHL, but and was also never technically an NHL coach, but was involved with the Red Wings organization, involved in player development, coaching NHL players and consulting and all that kind of stuff, tracking the NHL and his columns and some of the pieces he published. So I... I'm curious to see how that NHL mindset kind of applies uh, to this team. Well, I mean, it's kind of... You in some ways, it's it's kind of going from Beeline to Juwan in a similar way. Yeah, and I think that the way that Michigan is recruiting, though, and, you know, obviously that has to continue down the line, but kind of want that because they're going to get NHL guys, and the best way to continue to get NHL guys is to prepare them for the league. And I mean, that's what Saban has done at Alabama, right? It's like, Hey, come no. here and you'll be a defensive back or you'll be a wide receiver in the NFL. If you're good enough, just give me your shot, give me your best shot. And so, I mean, that's what Michigan has had as getting those players, especially recently. Sure. Um, the other significant returner in terms of minutes played and, and contributions is Keaton Pearson, a little in more of the, Truscott mold where he yep. is definitively a defensive defenseman. Um, I think that, you know, we've sort of talked about this over his career a little bit where, you know, he was always pretty good positionally, but then the puck would show up and you kind of wondered. 
It I, seems I thought like, he had a cleaner year last year handling right. the puck than he did in the COVID year. Right. You know, I, I agree. And that was sort of the transition that you saw from that as, as you've seen him grow as a player. Um, he's just gotten a little bit better. And now I believe he's a senior, right? That is correct, correct I think. Yes. And he's um, in the leadership role. I don't know. I, I'm not sure how many A's has, they have. Or whatever, he has but. an A. Well, he did in the exhibition. The A's yeah. were Triscott and Pearson and the C was Moyle. Okay. So, I mean, he's clearly trusted by the team, by the players on it. Um, probably not the highest of upsides, but he's been sort starting to become a rock on for Michigan defensively. He's, I would expect him to see some PK time. And um, he's just going to be another guy that Michigan is going to be able to pair with a puck rusher and have him be able to hold down the back end. And this is sort of why we're doing the defense first is like they return a lot, not just Luke Hughes. Luke Hughes is a really big deal. Obviously other guys are too, but they're, they're really deep there. And um, for a team that think, you know, where the goal scoring is going to come from, but because everyone is so young, you're not a hundred percent sure having depth at defense. And then in net, as we'll talk about soon is extremely key because if you can play good defense and you get decent goaltending, you can be in every game, especially until your offense and your forwards can figure out, you know, Hey, let's, where are you going to go? Where do I need to be? How do we gel together? And You know, that sort of thing. And, and Keaton Pearson is just a huge part of that. Just solidifying yet another pairing. Yeah. And, you know, overall, you know, I, the thing I like about Keaton Pearson that I wanted to just get out there is that, you know, again, it, it's another bigger guy, 6'2", 205, and, and the way he can block shots and soak up minutes on the penalty kill where, you know, it, it takes away the sometimes concern of him handling the puck. Like, that's a really big role that he has for this team. Speaking of things that are big, Steve Holtz is next on our list, and he's massive. He We got to see him sort of cameo for a few games um, near the end of the first half. I think they played him with power a couple of times for maybe the largest defensive pairing since Zdeno Chara played with his brother or something. But um, he showed some things. <laughs> I mean, he, he was never the best skater, but he was large and he moved decently well. Him and power seemed to have a little bit of chemistry. Um, and then he gets hurt in that Ohio State series in Columbus. And we're now, we don't, hear from him again for the rest of the year as he's out um yeah but- i was i was a little bit of a holt skeptic early in the in the season and over his i believe 11 games he plays a lot he has 11 career games i think they were all last year unless there was most one. of them would have been yeah yeah um but then when you got to the spring and in the postseason and everything i did get to a point where i was kind of like well it'd kind of be nice to have steve holtz here and counteracting some of the issues in the lineup that they had defending in the defensive zone, which I don't know, it's maybe my most 200 hockey men take, but (laughs) was definitely something that I think is missing from the lineup in in some ways. And he can be a useful guy to play uh, against the Notre Dames of the world in the abstract. But on this team with the personnel and um, the players on the roster, he's probably a regular because outside of, these six guys we've talked about, you have Karen who is we're not really an everyday player. And then you have three freshmen who all sort of profile as kind of like Holtz when he was younger in terms of that. Like there isn't another sort of instant impact freshman that you can really uh, project that would have a leg up considering he's got extra years in the program. 
Right. And kind of like what we're talking about is now, I mean, Casey's going to play because he's yeah. what he is, but now you don't have to rush other freshmen into the lineup. You have guys who are, I mean, Holtz is going to be a junior. So you have guys who've played college hockey, even though he's only played 11 games, he's been in the program. He kn- He's known Narado now for a little while. He knows the other guys on the team. So, I mean, there's going to be some chemistry there. And if, you know, one of the freshmen comes in and takes his spot or takes a spot of somebody else, you know, great, good for them. But you have something to fall back on. And again, I think that like, that's going to be the bedrock of this team. I mean, if they score goals, you know, as Michael Jordan said, the ceiling is the roof, right? But um, if they don't, I think that it could still be okay, at least in the short term, because of all of these experienced defensemen that they have. And Holtz just fits in nicely there as the third guy that stays home while you're, you know, kind of getting puck rushers their chances to move it. Yeah. And I, I I have no problem with Holtz in the lineup this this season, at least to see what he can do. We got a little snippet, looked competent enough. and He scored a goal, right, on the power play, I think? In, uh, uh, he did not. Yeah, in the exhibition, yeah. So I've got no oh, issue hooray. with him. <laughs> yeah, i got no issue with him in the lineup, at least for now. And then yeah, if something doesn't go right, then maybe late in the year our freshman pulls past him. But at least to start, I don't have an issue with this. He's played Big Ten games. He's a junior, blah, blah, blah. And then um, the other guy who is probably going to be confused in some ways, at least on score sheets, with uh, a bigger name is Luca Fantilli. He is Adam Fantilli's brother, uh, older brother, I believe. Yes, he is older. Yes, he's on defense um, and he'll be fighting probably for that sixth spot if and when that comes will remain to be seen. But he's a guy who probably is going to be you're going to be asking more of at the end of the year and going into next year uh unless there is injury concerns would you say or do you think that he has a shot to crack this top six or maybe they or would they put him as the seventh i think that karen is just going to occupy the extra skater role out of the time um yeah I forgot about Keridan. Yeah. You can talk about him. <laughs> well, it, it depends on where you want to classify him. I classified him as, as a forward because they do have a lot of defensemen and they're actually a little light on bodies at forward um, this year. So we can, we know, can Luca, touch on him and forward. Luca Fantilli played with the Chicago Steel in the USHL. Fine. Um, not anything particularly special in terms of his offensive numbers in that league. Probably can play in the, uh, in the NCAA. Not a whole else to say, really. There's no scouting of him on the internet. He had two shots to be drafted. Never happened. So this is probably a four-year developmental player who maybe is ready, maybe isn't. I guess we'll see. I mean, we don't know anything about him, really. Sometimes those kinds of players play right away. I mean, Keaton Pearson did. Sometimes they don't. And it's just So is Pearson his closest comp? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't know who his best comp is, but I'm just saying that was a guy who didn't who have any, and, yeah. yeah, didn't have any NHL hype, but did play right away. I don't particularly see Luca Fantilli having a, a major role this season. I think he's a guy that you check on down the line. Yeah. And I think that the way college hockey is going and you never really know how recruiting ends up because guys stick around a year or two. If you get guys that you can unwrap in a year or two who aren't probably going to be flight risks than having them in the program for when they're 22, three, four years old for a couple of years, isn't the worst thing. I mean, that's sort of Steve Holtz, right? Is that he didn't really have much of a role for a couple of years. And now 
I mean, you're looking around and be like, oh, a guy who's been here, who's going to know the guys, who knows, going to have some semblance of what's going on on the ice. Um, you could do a whole lot worse than throwing some Houdat freshman out there too. You know, I mean, that's kind of like what Fantilli is this year, but in a couple of years, a year, two, whatever it is, um, with some trading and development, he could be, he could be a piece. Yep. And I would say that's similar to Johnny Druskini's. Uh, yes. Let me, let's look at the pronunciation guys. It's Druskinis. 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 Well, Druskin is maybe, I don't know. It's <laughs> D-R-U-S-S hyphen skin hyphen I-S. So Druskinis. Yeah, Druskinis. Druskinis. Yeah, well, this is... This is the part that everyone's going to remember. New this is the new Brendan Brisson. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, we'll see. We're going to need one of those. We'll see what uh, we'll see what the Yost announcer says this weekend. But anyway, this is a player who I think was actually a little more interesting than than Fantilli or um, Brendan Miles because of the three kind of developmental defensemen that they take in this class. Uh, Driskinis is a player that racked up the penalty minutes in the USHL. <laughs> I mean, at, is that good? At Tri City, he was playing for the Tri City Storm uh, this past season in the USHL. He had, let me have this written down. He played 53 games, eight points, 159 penalty minutes, which I mean, was third in the USHL in penalty minutes. So people so, for years have liked that stat. To me, that means you're in the box all the time. Well, okay, so it depends on what we're talking about here. And when you, right, when uh, Dave Schultz had whatever his total was that one year, 475 penalty minutes in the late late 70s, he was not taking 250 (laughs) tripping penalties, right? You you don't get to that. (laughs) You don't get to that level without a huge fat, a huge chunk of them being game misconducts, fightings, all those kinds of things. And when you have Druskinis at 159 and 50 some games, a huge chunk of those were, uh, you know, wrestling penalties, basically. <laughs> so, because the USHL allows you to wrestle. <laughs> um, so that that's a serious te- question. It tell I don't know. I I'm not <laughs> up on the USHL. Okay. Um, but. It, it, it says something about his playing style. It says that yeah. this is a guy who likes to hit, who likes to get feisty, who perhaps likes to fight, even though that's not really an element of college hockey, but hopefully knows the rules. <laughs> um, you know, I don't do. I particularly want uh, him to at Michigan in 40 games have 120 penalty minutes. Not really, no. but I'd be fine with him. At, if you dressed him as the seventh defenseman and his thing was every game, he just, him and another guy from the other team get kicked out, <laughs> <laughs> which kind of was the old enforcer uh, role in the NHL. I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, okay. It, it's fascinating. He, it, it, it's fascinating for me because Michigan doesn't take a lot of these kinds of guys. You yeah. do not see them often take a six foot one, six foot two rough and tumble defenseman. And I, especially last year, sort of saw the utility of the team having a couple of those guys. And so yep. when I looked at Driskinis's profile, I said, this is a guy who's probably the next Steve Holtz. And Steve Holtz, similar story. They had almost identical offensive production in the USHL. Holtz, I will have to look up what his penalty minutes were in the USHL. But in terms of big right shot defenseman who is, you know, rough and tumble, that's the, that's the comp we're talking about here. 
Okay. Um, and then the last guy is Brendan Miles, who well, you we have said... to we have to circle back to Casey here in a second. But <laughs> that is true. We probably should talk to she- about Seamus Casey. Man, I am all over the place today. So Seamus Casey is probably the jewel of the defenseman class, I would guess. He is the one who projects to be a puck rusher, a guy that when committed, you were kind of like, all right, well, he's going to walk right in and be on the depth chart. Um, This particular depth chart probably, probably would have him in the third pairing and allow him to get his feet wet and not put too much on his plate and just, hey, find the puck, get it out of the zone. If you, if the chance is there, go, but like, you don't have to be the creator from the back end on this team. What you chip in will be great, but it is, it's not going to be on you. It's not, you know, freshman Cam York or even to some extent, freshman Luke Hughes. No, it's freshman Ethan Edwards. I mean, that's the logical one here because you have the stylistic comparison, but you also have the size comparison. Casey's checking in at five foot 10, 178 pounds, if you read his scouting reports in the run-up to the 2022 NHL draft, they were often talking about size as a concern, which will always be the case whenever you have a 5'10", rather skinny defenseman. And to pull the circle around, who was he drafted by? That's right, the <laughs> New Jersey Devils, the same team that drafted Luke Hughes and Ethan Edwards. So they wow. are looking for something. And that something is small. Michigan defenseman, I guess. Is what well, it, it's for. it's that Mel Pearson and New Jersey looked for the same thing, which was, you know, puck puck moving transitional defenseman. And yeah, New it, Jersey has indicated that they don't care as much about the size, whereas other teams might. So with him, you're looking at the Edwards mold where it might take a little bit, but he'll probably come on in the second half of the season. He's got great hands, probably the best hands in the defenseman 2022 NHL draft class. Um, you know, that was one thing that was very high on his on his scouting report. And we saw that in the exhibition. He had a nice little dangle. Um, so... But I assume they'll probably shelter him a little bit defensively. Although if he's playing with Triscott, I don't know. It's the one thing I'm curious about with this, these three defensive pairs is that if you have these pairs that are all balanced, they can all do, you know, the same uh, things. So the same things. Do, do they have a point at which late in a game they have a tandem that they like, right? Uh, potentially that late in a game with empty net pulled, maybe you go with Triscott and Steve Holtz or Triscott and Keaton Pearson. And this is you mean our being up a goal, right? Yeah, I was like, oh, if, oh, the, oh, if we need a goal, yeah, that's yeah, not what yeah, I'm picking, yeah. Alex. <laughs> you're defending, you're defending a lead, and you say, okay, it's time to close the game out, and we're going to do a matchup pair and yeah. have these two guys. You know, basically, we'll put out our penalty killers um, yeah. to to kill the game. And so that's shot blockers I'm, and size and that sort of thing. Yes, yeah, so that's something I'm a little curious about here. Yeah, that would that would be interesting. I mean, like you did mention his dangle. He also scored another goal. Um, you know, so there is a lot of offensive upside there, I think. And um, yeah, I, you know, with, with Hughes not playing especially, you know, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see where everybody fits. It seems like, you know, we've broken it down or you have, I should say, that, you know, looks like who should in theory play together and then, you know, having your pairs kind of rotate. I mean, that's the thing that Michigan has generally done. I mean, NHL teams obviously don't really do that, especially in, in bigger games, you know, you're going to get certain players are going to get more minutes. Michigan, to my recollection for 
as long as I've been watching, has mostly cycled through. I mean, there's probably been some times where you've double shifted a guy here or two or whatever, but for the most part, like they go through with with all things being equal in games and, and that sort of thing, and you're not playing in the semifinals or something, like you're they're gonna rotate through. And so having them split like that is probably gonna be not equal ice time, but I would say closer to it, especially if, if you have the fits. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. And obviously that's time about five on five and Luke Hughes is going to end up with more ice time because he's on the power play. That sort of. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. And I mean, when push comes to shove, Luke Hughes is going to be on the ice versus on the bench, generally speaking, I would guess. But, you know, as defensemen, you do have to rotate deep enough and and they have guys that can that can play with everybody. So, um, yeah. That's kind of like the theme of this segment and this team is like you, the defenses should be there and the defensive defensemen guys are the ones with all the experience and you do have guys going forward now that are, have a year under their belt. And I mean, the defense is probably weirdly for the first time in, I couldn't tell you how long, maybe my Michigan hockey fandom, the strength of this team. Uh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see non-committal Alex we'll see how, how how the freshmen gel and that kind of thing at forward but I think well okay this could be a pretty strong forward. for the first short term they're gonna be I mean I mean Fantilli we'll get to him and he could do some things and then this could be the year of Mackie and all of that but um it just seems like if their defense I I would be a little concerned if the defense wasn't at least good for the first month or two. Sure. All right. Anything you have to say about Brendan Miles after I completely forgot about Seamus Casey and now we're on to him? No. Brendan Miles is the most anonymous of these developmental defensemen. He was in the NAHL, which is below the USHL. So that's, you know, a notch below where the other two were. Not a lot to say here. I think that when you look at his numbers, he is probably decently likely to be on the Jake Gingell path. Um, in terms of is he, being, is he a walk-on or do we know? I don't know, but okay. that's just kind of what the statistical profile is. The other most important player and probably the most important player on most teams in net um, is Eric Portillo. They get the big Swede back who played a handful of games his freshman year, looked pretty good with a couple of holes that needed to be filled after Straussman did not return last year, Eric Portillo started every game, uh, played almost every minute other than when they were trying to get Jake Levy some some senior day time and last game at, at Yost time. And then I think Noah West played maybe a period <laughs> or something. So he's handled literally the load last year and was really, really good. I, I mean, he also, kind of, I mean, his iconic moment to me, I mean, he, he had a number of, of things, but um, kind of rallied the team and steadied the ship in that Quinnipiac game when things were starting to yeah. get a little hairy. He, I mean, I I have no confirmation of this, but I'm guessing that his skate issue was uh, <laughs> convenient and went over and got everybody on the same page, had his quote unquote skate fixed, and then the team was able to survive the onslaught at the empty netter and get to Boston. And that was sort of emblematic of what Portillo is going to be on this team too, is we talk about, you know, yes, the defensemen ahead of him are, should all be experienced and will be talented. And the forwards are going to be really talented, but they're going to be really young. But the one thing for sure that you can think you can take to the bank is that 
I mean, Portillo's, I, is there a guy, if you could draft players in college hockey, uh, goalies in college hockey that you would take ahead of him? I mean, maybe Levi? I don't know. I, I'm not up on all the college but, hockey goalies, but, but... But the point is, like, after what we've seen of him, it's hard to find someone who you have a lot more confidence in. Yeah. I mean, I thought that he was probably the best goaltender in the Big Ten last year. That one is a little debatable, but um, I, I thought he was just killer down the stretch. He was really, really good through all of calendar 2022 into the tournament and was definitely the best player for Michigan in the Frozen Four matchup uh, against Denver. So I'm a, a huge Portillo fan. Very good to get him back. He We're also a little is, surprised he's back. I mean, not not from a... Uh, I mean, not, not, I mean, it, okay. Everyone's situation is different, but from a, does this guy need another year of college? I was probably on the, probably not train, but I don't think so personally, but Buffalo also has all the has, goalies has, they have all these goalie prospects and they don't want to play any of them. For some reason. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, they, yeah, that's something else. They're, they're bringing Craig Anderson back at like age 41 rather than <laughs> moving Plays other people their, up yeah. in the in the lineup so i'm a little not sure what's going on there but that could be the reason he's back i mean look the goalie is always the most important player on your team but certainly in michigan's case given the goalie depth chart i mean we said this last year but easily the best the biggest way that the season goes awry is an injury to eric portillo wow. it yeah. was the case last year and it's the case now they don't really have a viable number two but that's the case for a lot of teams. So yeah, it's it's like, do you get to have two really really good quarterbacks now? No, because one of them will be gone within a year or so. I mean, that's yep. just sort of the nature of how it is. And um, I mean, I think that Portillo is, you know, I was I was a Strauss man fan, and I thought that like especially that last year or two, he played as well as any goalie I'd seen at Michigan. You know. The Hunwick thing is debatable if he was a little bit better, but man's numbers were very, very, very good. And Portillo last year, I thought for the most part, matched that pretty much across the board. I mean, his save percentage was 0.926, which is, I mean, sign me up for that again, right? I mean, like, <laughs> what are the odds you're going to get nine nine? Fifty goal tending, you know. Yeah, his, his GAA is two point one four. Also very good. He had three shutouts. He, I think, he had a few points too, if I remember. He had well, four assists. Yeah, so. that's not surprising given how much he plays the puck. Right, and that's, I mean, that's the one of the the things that the knocks on him that I hopefully we dispelled mostly last year. But you know, is he going to have a wandering situation where they're going to get caught for a goal? Yeah, maybe. But is he also going to be able to stop a lot of dump-ins and spring a lot of odd man rushes and just sort of you, – you you have to let him be who he is on the ice, and you don't want to take things away from him and make him into something else and then have him give up goals because, you know, he his instincts are to do something else. So yeah, and there, I, and there was I, was, a, I was fine with all of that, personally. There was a few misplays of him with the puck last year, but there were not very many, and there weren't very many that resulted in a goal, and none of those happened in really consequential games. So, right. I don't know. Not, not a major thing for me to go crazy about. No, and if you have a guy that can play the puck, it's, I prefer it to a guy that can't play the puck, personally. But And I think that he is, in my head, the odds-on favorite to be the best goalie in the Big Ten. He was... Right there with a couple guys last year, but I think that his pedigree suggests that his performance last season is more sustainable than that of what we saw with the other guys he was 
up against who had really good years. Yeah, I, I also expect him to start every single game, <laughs> sans some sort of injury. <laughs> uh, uh, yes. Noah West is the backup. He played a little bit on Saturday. He's a guy. He went to <laughs> Robert Morris, transferred in, played 31 minutes last year, made 11 saves. In probably fine for a short term if they need something, but not who you obviously hope that Michigan is going to ride into the postseason with. But, you know, having a guy who's played in another program and now has another year under his belt at Michigan and has been through everything, this is kind of fine for a backup. Yes? Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe you'd prefer a guy who is more, a little more usable, but... I mean, you're just I, I not going to get... I'm, I'm trying to think of, okay, so what teams in the Big Ten have a second goalie that's usable? Notre um, Dame, because all their goalies are clones? Well, meh, maybe not. That was They didn't get anybody out of the portal, and I'm pretty iffy on the guys they have besides Bischel. Um Minnesota, no. We'll talk about that with Lindenwood at the end. Um, MSU, I guess, but them in Wisconsin... St. Cyr? Them and Wisconsin are both in the mold of. They, they got Saint Cyr, didn't they? They got Saint Cyr, and they so have, Michigan is going to play against Dylan Saint Cyr in three different uniforms during his career. Yeah, in three straight years. <laughs> um, three straight years. <laughs> I mean, MSU okay. Wisconsin both have the the case of the guys where it's like we're not really sure who the starter is, but these guys are decent options. So I don't know. It, it's yes, you would like a, a better second guy in the abstract, but it's often not a reality, so it kind of is what it is. Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, I mean, that's that's just... I, I just think that's goaltending these days, you know? Right. All right, any other thoughts on goaltending defense, or should we take uh, a break? We have to mention Tyler Shea, who is the new third goalie on the team. The Jack new Le- Jack Levy. Jack Levy has moved on. Tyler Shea is in. Not much else to say about that, but Let's give him a shout out. (laughs) O'Shea. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248-924-9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. Obviously, Michigan loses many of their forwards, so many that they actually had to go into the transfer portal and pull back one of their own at some point. 
Um, but the biggest name I would say that's returning from last year's team is first round draft pick Mackie Samuskevich, who started all right and then kind of caught fire in the second half of the year, especially as players were uh, going to the Olympics. And um, I thought that the Samo, Duke, and Beecher line was really great and kind of hoped to get Beecher back because you could bring that line back and probably put them at the top, which would then sort of uh, shield all the freshmen from having to be like the scoring line. Um, They get two of them back. They get Mackey and Duke. And I mean, this is kind of the the year for Mackey, right? Like, because people probably are not expecting him to be around a third year. Guys like that generally don't stick around that long. And he had a pretty good freshman year, 10 goals, 19 assists for 29 points in 40 games. And, you know, was probably the, what, eighth notable player on the team. So it wasn't like, you know, he had the the stage all to himself. But this year, he's going to be probably the guy to start, I would say, at least on on the wing. Yeah, I think that, you know, Samuel Skavich is a guy that's nice to have to place with these two freshman centers you have because he can play with either one and, and make them better. He was coming on in the second half, had a point per game, basically for mid-January on was driving the line with Beecher and Duke um, was kind of evolving his game to be more well-rounded than just the shot, which is how he was getting a lot of his points early on in the season. Um, You know, really good skater, good passer can, um, you know, shoot the puck really well, probably the best wrist shot on the team. A really fun player. He should get the power play one assignments. We'll be able to do a lot of damage off the rush. I would expect him to score at least a point per game across the full season this year. Uh, probably plenty of goals scored. I would have him 20 goals. Uh, yeah, that's possible. He probably has the best shot of anyone on the team. Would you say? Yeah, possibly. I, uh, he'd be definitely be in the top two or three names that I would put in that category. Um, right. and, uh, if I was in the big 10, all big 10 hockey media poll, I would have had him on my all big 10 first team. Most likely. Um, He's just a good bet to take another nice step forward and really have a good next year. I mean, I think that his production as a freshman tracked decently closely to Brendan Brisson's, and we saw Brisson get a little bit better as a sophomore and take another step, and that seems fairly likely for Samoskevich. His wingmate is going to be Dylan Duke, or you would think. They played last year together and thought I thought they did well. I also think that their uh, skill sets complement each other, especially when you put them with... Um, you know, a play driving center or a guy that's going to create some things. Um, Duke did a good job getting in front, getting some goals, uh, used his stick really well. Um, he also had some plays behind the net, I thought, that he kind of dished out in front too. Um, Duke is interesting because he was start, he, he could have been, you know, a higher first or second round pick, um, dropped off considerably during the draft, and the Lightning of all teams grabbed him. And if there's one thing that we know about the Lightning is that their amateur scouting tends to be pretty good. And so grabbing him in the fourth round was was kind of a nice sign for Michigan fans. You got to see, uh, obviously last year, not quite the Mackey levels. He had 10 goals and nine assists for 19 points, which is just under half a point per game. But again, he wasn't really featured on or getting like the key power play time and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure how they're going to divvy up power play time here. It seems likely that he'll be on one of the two units. Yeah, I didn't think so. He was a guy who fell in the draft because of the 
size, 5'10", 181, combined with the lack of um, particularly good skating ability. Now, there was a piece written recently in the Michigan Daily by a friend of the podcast, Connor Irgood, um, talking about uh, Duke's work over the summer with a skating guru, of which oh. uh, the Lightning have several, including one extremely famous one. And that's an area where Duke could improve. And that's something I'll be interested in watching here over the first couple of months of the season is, does he look faster? Because I think that unlocks the whole puzzle for him. I mean, there's also the, you know, perhaps that he could be a better passer or maybe a better shooter. I mean, the thing is, he scored 10 goals. I don't know where any of those goals outside of uh, 10 or 15 feet from the net. <laughs> I mean, they were all right yeah. around the net, all kind of greasy plays and he was an off puck player. He was not a guy who was really a threat to do much of anything with the puck on his stick. And he wasn't also super fast. So he found his niche based on his skill set. but this is a young player and there's plenty of room to improve for him. And so if he's a little bit quicker and perhaps he's a little bit better with uh, the puck on his stick, that you could have a much more dangerous player who is able to really increase his production. And let's say that they play him with a Adam Fantilli at, on as first line center, which is what they did in the exhibition. And then you add Samo on the other side. I mean, he's going to be on one of the, probably the featured line on the team with two players who, you know, are both going to, you know, either are first round picks going to be first round picks. And there's, the, I mean, he's going to have talent all around him. And, you know, if that stays true with the back end, you probably having more time with Luke Hughes. And I mean, you just think that his, he's primed for a breakout. I don't know if he'll make the biggest jump of anyone on the team. Cause there's a couple guys later that you could see, you know, having a, a bigger jump by percentage, but he looks like a prime candidate for um, just really growing into like a productive player at, I would say a top six forward. Would you not? Uh, yeah, I think that he should be a pretty good player this year. And, you know, I'm interested to see what strides he can really make with his game. Um, the third guy that we will talk about as a forward is the captain who uh, was, I mean, basically a staple to the fourth line for the last what four years and came up really big, I think, uh, in the postseason, scoring several goals. It, it's not really his thing. He had seven goals and eight assists for 14 or 15 points in 36 games. That's not a ton. Um, and he I mean, I don't know. It's really hard to speculate these lines. My guess is that he probably does not play in the top six, maybe middle six, depending It'll be interesting to kind of see because, you know, Nolan Moyle has been with Garrett Van Wye since I think they were born, right? I mean, like they were huh, twins basically. at one point. And, basically. and yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was interesting because I think that he wasn't sure what was going to happen in the offseason and he was not going to get a pro contract unlike pretty much every other player that left the program last year. And then Michigan realized that they did not have that many forwards and <laughs> went out and brought him back. And now he's the captain, which is a weird little thing. I mean, not saying that he shouldn't be, but it's weird to go from um, not on the team to being the team's captain in the span of a couple of months. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting turnaround, but I think it shows, you know, how he was thought of in the locker room by his teammates and that that never really changed uh, based on what he was planning to do with his future. So yeah, the, the thing with him on the second line, I wondered if that spot is him and Estapa, who was included in the fourth line, perhaps both, you know, getting some looks. 
right? Yeah. One night or one day in practice, we're going to do a stop on the fourth line and Moyle on the second, then we'll switch them. And that's what uh, practice said the preseason and that sort of thing is all about, right? You mm-hmm. try out defenseman. Oh, can he play on the left side? Can he play on the right side? We try this guy with these people, blah, 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 blah. I mean, to a lesser extent, the regular season is for that too, but NCA, not as much NHL, more the case, but I don't think he'll stick in the top six. I don't really want him to stick in the top six unless there is something there we have not seen yet. But what he can do on the fourth line, the defense, the hustle, the energy, the rough and tumble way that he, way he plays, all very good stuff. I'd like to see him limit the five-minute majors this year. That was a <laughs> bit of an issue at times last season. But, you know, you don't want to take the fish out of water completely. It's always going to be an element of his game. And um, he's a guy we've had a lot of fun watching. And so uh, depending on, on where they play him, he should have a, a very important role on the team yet again. He's a guy in a team with a lot of forwards that he is a very known quantity. And you know what you're going to get out of him. And you know what you can count on. And some of those things are just knowing where to be, being defensively responsible, like you said, and... Like that can go a long ways, especially in the first month or two when everyone is still trying to find their feet and and build their, you know, we talked about gelling and chemistry. That's going to be the thing that's going to potentially hold this team back, at least at the beginning is, you know, everyone's going to have to wear their name tags for a while. And, and Nolan Moyle will not. And that's the thing that I think that Nerado is going to be able to count on is like, Hey, this guy has been through the wars for a long time. And if I ask him to do something, knowing if he can or can't do it, then I can, consider it done yeah and i you know i've i've got no issues with them bringing moyo back it didn't make a lot of sense for him to ever be in the portal and you know glad that he's back i agree um the other guy that you mentioned that sort of flopped with him was mark Estapa. he did not start the year um as a staple in the in the lineup but starter picked it up towards the end of the first half and then was a fun player uh, in the second half, um, not really a goal scorer yet. Only two goals, nine assists for 11 points in 34 games. So not exactly um, a scoreboard producer, but you know he's a bigger physical guy who has worked in the net front. He um, is good in the corners along the boards. Something that you know when you have a bunch of skilled position play or skilled players, that's usually something that is lacking. And Marcus Stoppa brings a lot of that. You mentioned how it's going to be interesting to see if they can try to get him on the top line because, you know, having a puck retriever guy like that and pairing him with uh, goal scorers is not a bad thing. Um, The only issue there is, you know, is that do you want him being the guy that Nazer or Fantilli are passing to, you know, and that's kind of like, well. Can he finish those chances and can he bang enough pucks in around the net? Yeah, well, his finishing is going to be under the microscope because he scored one goal last season against a goalie and <laughs> the that, other one was against no one I'm guessing. <laughs> uh, correct. It was an empty netter. So that's an, an area for him. I think to improve on at six foot two, 206 pounds. He's the biggest forward on the team. He's the heaviest at two Oh six. And this is a player that showed some promise last year. He had showed off, I think more skill. And this was the, truth with him in the juniors a little more skill than you expect uh, in a player in that role so i kind of like him playing up in the lineup more than moyle because i think there's more potential there also moyle's been at michigan for four years whereas estapa was only a freshman i think it's much more reasonable to expect that we're going to see more finishing more offensive touch 
from Mustafa than Moyle. But the same thing does apply about um, discipline here because yeah. Marcus Stapa, you know, the <laughs> the free Estapa chants are humorous. They're but, fun, but you hate having to do them. <laughs> there was some things that were less... I, look, I, this is what we kind of were saying in the Holtz and uh, Driskina section. Like, I don't have an issue with a guy going to penalty box a lot as long as he's taking somebody with him. Because yeah. if Estapa wants to play the enforcer role and he's constantly going to the box to create four on four, that's awesome. <laughs> Michigan, if his if his thing could just be giving us four minutes of four on four per night, that would be totally fine with me because Michigan is going to own those minutes relative yep. to every other team in, with an open ice and that sort of thing. The, the Hughes Thunder goal against Ohio State was at four on four for your uh, memory sake there. So I don't have an issue with that. The the problem with Estapa was um, a lot of dumb stuff. And yeah. that and is offensive the, zone penalties. Yes. And that like is the kind of thing yeah. that can be cut down on. Yeah. Um, he's certainly going to be in the lineup because he does bring some experience and has that like large human physique that, that you did mention. But um, where he fits is going to be probably determined based on how and where the freshmen fill in and, and what he's able to do. When you, you mentioned earlier about Narado being a skills development guy, yeah. I mean, that's this is probably one of the prime candidates to be breakout player of the year because if Narado can work with him on some of his passing and finishing and that sort of thing, I mean, he certainly is going to find himself in some really good spots. Yep. Um, the other guy is sort of... My pick, hope, guess for player of the year, or player of the year, that would be something. Breakout player of the year is Philippe Lapointe. He's a guy who didn't play a ton his first two years, had to step in during some World Juniors and Olympic situations. Um, I don't want to say he wasn't given a fair shake, because I don't think that he was uh, a guy that you couldn't keep out of the lineup. But I thought that when he came in in the middle of the year last year, he did some things well, scored a couple goals, and was noticeable. I mean, that's kind of what you want is when you get a chance is, you know, when we're talking, when you and I are talking about doing prep for the podcast or just, you know, after the games and we're like, you or I bring somebody up and like, well, did you even notice them? Like, I don't even remember seeing them. And, and he kind of started to do those things last year. Obviously, he wasn't going to play over anyone else because of, the sheer volume of talent that Michigan had. And then you had your grind line at the bottom. That was just, or, um, you know, you weren't going to move those guys out. So this is a big chance for him. I think, you know, he played with Kent Johnson, um, obviously has the legacy that goes with being named LaPointe. I think that there is a spot or there's an opportunity, I should say this year for him to kind of create a role for himself. Yeah. And LaPointe, 25 games through two seasons that we haven't seen enough of him to have a fair reading. And especially because in those 25 games that he has been playing, how much is he really playing? Not that much. He's not getting a high 13th skater. (laughs) He's not getting a high uh, ice time load in those games. So LaPointe overall is just not uh, a player that we know a lot about. And he was, one of my breakout picks last year in my stupid predictions, that one didn't happen. But the path for him is either to carve out a niche up in the lineup if he were to beat out Estapa and Moyle for that kind of role, or just be a regular on the fourth line and give us a sense of what you can do. And there's some guys he's he's clawing against, but 
it's totally feasible he could have a breakout. It's just hard to really know if that's possible or what that would even look like. Um, he's been here two years, and we don't have an accurate reading. And that's kind of similar for Nick Granowitz, too. He he was in that same role. Uh, Granowitz has been around a little while now. He's, a, I believe, a senior, and kind of that same thing, where could do things in front of the net, had some goals a couple of years ago on um, being in the right place at the right time. But, you know, on a super skilled team like last year, there was he was just never going to have a spot. And this year, you know, if he wants to take that senior jump or be that get that boost that sometimes Michigan's had the seniors take, I mean, this is a good time for it. I don't know that he has like the skill to go on and score a ton of goals, but, you know, there are open places, especially on that fourth line, maybe fitting in as, as a net front presence on the second or third line. And, you know, he'll have a chance. Is that the guy that's going to win it? I don't know. There are some freshmen that we are going to talk about, but it's kind of maybe LaPointe light. It's feasible. It could win a spot on the fourth line. I think it, LaPointe at least has some of the pedigree in terms of the NHL blood, but also LaPointe was a really high score in the BCHL. He part of that was playing with Kent Johnson, who was just kind of God in the BCHL that year. But LaPointe was one of the highest scorers in that league. Whereas, is it really there? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, there, there's a reason that he didn't start right away and that, you know, they needed a shakeup or an injury to bring him in. And then there's a reason why he couldn't make the lineup last year. And it's, yeah. I thought that there were times over the, two years ago where he kind of made some improvement and he drew some penalties and did some things, but nothing has really lasted for a full year for him. And, um, you know, he has one last shot, I guess. And sometimes those senior breakouts happen, right? It has happened in Michigan hockey from time to time. It's happened in other sports that I followed. No one really thought anything about Mackenzie Nemitz. And then suddenly as a senior, yeah, on the softball team, she was just <laughs> cracking homers. So sometimes it happens. Well, hopefully hit some homers. Yeah. Um, and then this is another interesting guy who we were kind of big on coming in last year. I think he's going to be coming into his senior year this year, but is um, Eric Ciccolini was hurt all of last year, was a wing guy that you were excited to sort of pair with some of Michigan's fun centers last year, um, started to score some goals during the COVID year, and you were really thinking this guy could be a player or had a chance to be a player last year. Then he gets hurt a few games into the season. He's out the entire year. And it's not like they didn't have the depth last year, but you would have kind of liked to see how he played with some of that talent. Um, he's going to have a chance to play with a couple of good centers if he can win a spot on those lines. I didn't see anything. I didn't, I didn't see any of his highlights in the exhibition, but I think that he definitely has a chance to make what middle six on this team. Yeah. I, I liked Ciccolini a lot uh, in the first two years and thought that the third year was going to be the breakout, but unfortunately never happened. He only played four games and then it all got washed out. So, you know, reset, get healthy and start from scratch. And perhaps that can be the bounce that he kind of needs to start a new. And there's plenty of play driving centers on this team you could put him with. And I think he could be on any of the top three lines. He's got a good enough shot. He should get power play time. I mean, I think there's a player that can score 30 points here. Yeah. And he started to score goals that one year, right? I mean, yeah. Yes. The 20, well, the, fir the first year he got just shooting percentage <laughs> uh, luck problemed. Let's put it that yeah. way. 
Yeah. He shot like two percent, and then the next year it kind of reverted. Yeah, he had seven goals in twenty twenty one in twenty four games, so um, twelve points, which is in college hockey, that's fine to to at least be on the third line, and and maybe if he takes a bit of a jump, like until some other guys get their skates under them, he could be a decent second line player. Yeah, I mean, I think that even if there are guys that pull through, he can be on the second line. He's got he, he's got a role here. All right. Uh, so now we get to the guy, right? I mean, we were kind of talking about him. We're going to move into the freshman. I didn't forget about anybody, right? I know that's. I thought you were going to say Brian Monet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's with the Seahawks. I know. I was tweeting about him yesterday. Eating that's space. Why, that's why he was on my mind. I think in Harbaugh's first year, he was like ranked as like the third best player on the team. Do you remember that? Like in that, yes. remember when they went in the sub? Yes. Yeah, yes. and he was like well, the third pick in the draft or something before he hurt his knee. Yeah, the le- the injury was was rough for him. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. So Adam Fantilli is the crown jewel of this class, if not going to be in conversation to be the best player at Michigan since Kyle Connor. I mean, you you were you were DMing me and saying, okay, this is wild, and you just started pulling out comps for points for him in the USHL versus who else had those kinds of years and. I mean, the guys that you were throwing at me were like Jack Eichel and well, Kyle Connor and then um, Thomas Vanek. And so the thing for Fantilli is it's very rare that you have a player like that with the NHL upside uh, talent level, let's call it that, that allows him to play in the USHL, but not with the NTDP, right? That's a very strange <laughs> The, the, if you look at, okay, who scored his amount at his age in that league? Well, they're all USNTDP guys, except for like two, because anybody who's scoring that amount at that age in that league is going to be good <laughs> good enough to be on the USNTDP. Well, yeah. why well, wasn't Fantilli? Well, he's Canadian, so he's not going to be on that team, and there's not many Canadians in the USHL. It's just a strange uh, de- series of developments that ended up with him in that position in that league. And so the number of players who were the comps there was very small, and it was Connor and Vanek, and they were both insanely good players as freshmen. Vanek at Minnesota, and Connor, of course, at Michigan. Um, Connor was 71 points in 40 games, something like that. Vanek, I think, was in the 60s in yeah. 40 games. Um, Eichel was the name I brought up, even though he did play with the NTDP. The thing with Eichel that is a pretty similar comp is that you have this uh, series of factors that are similar here. You have number one, a late fall birthday. That means he misses the cutoff for a draft. So he goes to college hockey at 17, turning 18. That alone is not a super common thing. Although Michigan has had all of those guys for the last (laughs) two years now. Um, I mean, even going back to Wierenski, right? uh, Yes. And Quinn Hughes. So that is Again, not a super common thing, but then you also have the similar factors. You have a center and you have a player who is angling for the top two of a draft in a draft in which there are really talented players at the top, unlike a draft a couple years ago that Michigan highly populated. And you can even distill it further to the fact that Eichel was chasing Connor McDavid and Fantilli is chasing the widely considered best prospect since Connor McDavid in Connor Bedard. So that is all a lot of very eerie similarities. 
and, and right. Eichel and Eichel. Uh, let's be clear here was in the Connor range in production, so, uh, about seventy points in forty games right. that year he played at BU. Well, and took him all the way to the title game until the goalie let in a goal from center <laughs> ice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not great. Um, so Fantilli's style is he's big and uh, he can skate, and he is not going to be a guy that it should be overwhelmed by the size and physicality of college hockey. Is yeah, what so what's interesting about Fantilli is he is probably, and again, I'm not the Fantilli scout here. I'm reading what the Fantilli scouts are saying. I've never a lie. watched him really in person. I've seen his highlight clips, but when we see him against Lindenwood this weekend, that will be my first full viewing. Um, he is probably the most physical high-end guy to come through the top of a draft at the forward position in a while. And there's been big guys that come through the draft, yes. But when you watch some of the highlights of him, and and there was a really good uh, video um, from EP Rinkside Scout. I believe it was David St. Louis. It might have been um, Mitch Brown. But they have really good draft scouts. They were doing a, a full film room video on YouTube you can find. I would recommend that. And they've got all these clips of him just like running dudes, just flying down the wing and blasting guys in the corner and thumping players. And like, that's pretty uncommon because yeah. you can draw the the size comparison to say Quentin Byfield from a few drafts ago out of the OHL. And Quentin Byfield was not really that sort of player. He was kind of uh, big and fast, that sort of mold. Whereas Fantilli uh, is a guy that likes to hit and, that's pretty unique. We we have the some players that come through that like to hit, but they're in a kind of a different mold, right? The the guys that maybe get drafted a little too high because everyone's overdosing on physicality. But Fantilli is this bizarre player who is big and skilled and, and a pretty good skater and can do these deeks and all this really cool stuff and also is a headhunter to some degree. I don't know <laughs> how much he'll do that in the NCAA, Hopefully not too much. Probably not too much because NCAA is a league that some might call soft. Not me, <laughs> but some might call. And um, some of the stuff he might be able to get away with in the NCAA, NHL might not be able to in this particular league. But it's unique. I mean, I was kind of racking my brains and trying to think of like high-end centers that hit like that. And yeah. like Malkin did a little bit when he was younger. Um I mean, the one that popped into my brain, and this one is a name that we, we're only using in this scenario, not allowed to use it again, but like Eric Lindros would be the one. And Lindros was a lot bigger. I mean, that guy was massive, but that was like the last guy in my brain of like big center who was like a crazy great offensive player who also just liked to murder people. And <laughs> that, that was Lindros. So, so, I, I t- so he's probably good on the boards and in the corners. Yes. And it's going to be able to handle himself against like the Minnesotas and the Notre Dame types. Yeah, that would be my thought. Um, there was definitely the, is he Sidney Crosby in terms of Sidney well, Crosby famously the greatest fourth liner of all time. That's where there, I was going. Is there right. some Crosby in him? Yeah. And you know, he might be like a Crosby Malkin hybrid in, in, in that sense, not in the <laughs> overall talent levels. That would be he, awesome. Can we get would, that though? Hey, it's possible. <laughs> I mean, it's conceivable that that could happen. I mean, look, Nick Granowitz could be a Hall of Famer. You never know. But there's <laughs> levels of probability involved with all of these things. And 
it's not likely that he's hitting that ceiling. But in terms of Malkin's size with Crosby's playing style, I think is a is a decent um, decent comparison here. And you saw it in uh, the exhibition game. He had a really nice play off the rush where he was looking really good passing and like that's what he can do besides the physicality and the, and the big I mean it's a it is a very tasty package for a lot of scouts and the question is how good can he be right away and what is the production because we talk about those comps and what those three guys did and last season Michigan didn't have any with all the NHL draft picks Michigan had last year we didn't have anybody who was putting up 65 points and right. so I mean, part of that's because everybody was putting up points Right. And that might be the case here. But if I'm telling you what the NHL draft scouts want to see from Adam Fantilli in order to go right at the top of the draft, if he has any hope of catching Connor Bedard, which he probably doesn't, but if he does, he's got to be the best player in, in the Big Ten and probably in college hockey. And that's what and, he's up against here. And he has that capability? I don't know. We'll see. Guys who in the past scored at his level were the best player in college hockey right away, like Kyle Connor. The voters didn't realize it, but uh, he very much was as a freshman, right? And if that's, yeah. the, if that's the comp, that is a range of outcome that is not insignificant enough. We have to mention it. And in the exhibition, they played him with Samo and Duke, which seems like not a bad place to start. You have a guy that's going to be able to score. You're going to have a guy that's going to be in front, and he and Fantilli can kind of be everything else. Yep. So... Um, if that is his destiny, he it has, he has good running mates to start. I mean, we could, we could shift down and a couple of these other guys, you could probably play him with too. And then, you know, if they, if they pop right away, there are, there are places you can go, but, um, it seems like Fantilli has sort of the artillery around him to do that if necessary. Yep. So if that is Adam Fantilli, the opposite of that would be Frank Nazer. <laughs> who is more in the Bordelow role of skilled center, um, probably tiny, but uh, able to skate and dish and control play, but probably not going to be a physical presence, at least right away. No, not a physical presence, but he is an explosive skater, Probably one of the two or three best skaters in the 2022 NHL draft. He was very high on my board. I think he was fourth or fifth on my board. Ended up going 13th to Chicago, which sucks. <laughs> don't, like, don't like that. You get to root for him for two years, and then you have to boo him. Basically. So uh, Nazar is a player who is dynamic, is going to be a demon off the rush. Really, really good skater, and crucially, he can do things. And a player we're about to get to very shortly is probably a better skater than him, but did not go in the lottery because the question is, can he do anything else? That's not the case with Nazar, right? He can make these... Uh, his highlight reel is pornographic, right? It's got these just incredible dekes and passes, and it's all at 100 miles an hour, and he's flying in. I mean, it, it is really impressive stuff at the USH level. USHL level just torched the competition in. So what I'm hearing is we're getting Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid. Um, I think for the college comparison, honestly, he Nazar, when I read his scouting report, seems to be kind of like a fusion of a lot of players that were on Michigan's team last year because he has this ability to skate and play off the rush and make deeks like Bortolo. He has a shot that's probably most comparable to Beneers. And then he has a little bit of Kent Johnson brain 
sprinkled in, right? Where sometimes <laughs> he's making some really beautiful highlight reel passes, and sometimes they're kind of dumb and they don't accomplish anything. And that was one of the knocks on him. Now, he is more of a shoot-first player than either Bordolo or um, Kent Johnson. And that was an interesting thing. Well, I kind of had his comp in the NHL to Braden Point because there was a lot of talk about him as a goal scorer who plays between the hash marks despite being undersized. Um, so we'll see about that. But either way, this is a guy who is going to fly. And, you know, they put Samuskevich with Fantilli, which, okay, I would kind of want to see him with Nazar. <laughs> I want to see just both go right. You turn the puck over in the, the opponent turns it over in the, in the defensive zone and you let the horses out of the barn. Right. And yeah. here we go. Fire up the engine. And, and there's just not a lot of defenders in college hockey that be able to defend that off the rush. This is like the perfect year for Michigan to have these centers, sort of speak. I mean, actually I have a counter to that, but um just because they lose all their centers and to have two of them, the better players in the freshman class fill in at center is kind of what Michigan needs given who left. Yep. The knock on it is will either of them play defense because we'll find out Bortolo and Beneers definitely play well, defense. So I think Fantilli stuff. will, I, I don't expect Nazer to have much of a role on the penalty kill. I do expect Fantilli to. Um, Fantilli but I just mean as a have, center. I mean, that's part of your job sure, getting back. Is, sure, yeah. I think Fantilli has a more, or what I have read, is that he has a more polished defensive game at this point. Okay. Um, so those are Michigan's top two centers. Uh, the next guy that I had on the list it went one pick after Nazer, which was interesting. Uh, Rutger McGrory, who Michigan flipped from Notre Dame. Um, a lottery pick, as we as stated, went to the Jets. Um, this guy is a scorer. He's a scorer, yes. He is also a grinder. He's also a guy who likes to hit. This could be a much more physical Michigan team than we've seen in the past. And it's kind of why I was interested in flipping Rutger with Samoskevich based on the exhibition lines. I would love to see Rutger and Adam Fantilli bang around um, you know, below the goal line in the corner because of just their physical presence on the same line. Well, right. Cause you could mix a match. You could have the one line that you just can't skate with and they're just, you know, blowing by you and, and lapping you around the rink. And then the other line, it's going to beat you up. And that's a really good comparison, right? Cause you just get done getting worked by Fantilli and McGordy and you're got ice on your elbows and <laughs> cuts on your face. And now all of a sudden you got to skate with, with these other guys, right? It's the, Thunder and lightning, as they call it. <laughs> Every running back duo. Did you come up ever, with that? <laughs> to ever play. Hey, you remember uh, Reggie Bush and Lundell White? This duo for Air Force is exactly that. <laughs> That's So my my thing about it, and, and you may have a point to that, but is that maybe why they split them up is so you didn't have thunder and lightning? But it's so possible, had, yeah. So that you had one of each on each, on each line. Yeah, it's definitely possible. I mean, Rutgers got... Um, a, a nose for the net. He's got a big frame, not super tall, but filled out 200 pounds and uh, a good complimentary player. I think that he can be, uh, let's go with like uh, what the role Michael Bunting played last year for Matthews and Marner in that way, that he could create that space and do some of the digging. And I don't think he's going to drive his line, but I think that you need players like that. And, I was surprised he went as high as he did. I thought he was going to be in the mid-20s, but at 14th, the Jets liked what they saw, and he's an interesting player, and the intangibles are great on Rucker McGordy. Captain of the USNTDP, which carries a lot of weight given the talent 
on that team. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like this because this is a player who's going to help you beat Notre Dame. And it was kind of the, well, how do you beat Notre Dame? You just get their recruits. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's true. I wish we could have gotten Logan Cooley too, but they went, he went to Minnesota. Well, he wouldn't have really helped you beat Notre Dame. I mean, yes, because he's a great player, but well, stylistically. We're talking about their styl- recruits. Rutger could have gone to Notre Dame and fit in. Cooley mm. was never going to fit in at Notre Dame. Yeah, which begs the question why he ever chose it, but that's probably... He wasn't allowed to watch any of their games, and then once he got to to see one of their games... The guy that you were referring to earlier in regards to his crazily good skating is drafted Jackson Hallam. He went in the third round, and um, I mean, the the thing with him is he's just super fast, right? Like, he's... I mean, he ran a rabies and I didn't just, but like his speed was, you know, always there. And, and I, I mean, Hallam is clearly going to be better than Dakota Raby, but when you're talking about guys that just go up and down the ice, I mean, that's what this guy does. And he fits sort of Michigan's speed mantra of wingers that just go, they just might need to teach him how to put it in the net. Yeah. Hallam is a guy that there isn't a ton of scouting out there. He played high school hockey in Minnesota got drafted. He was super young for his draft class. He missed the, or he made the cutoff by like a week as a early September, 2002. So he got drafted in the 2020 class and then he finished up in high school. Then he went to the USHL, played a couple years there. USHL production looks pretty good. Should be a producer right away. But as a result, there's not a ton of, of scouting and, and, Unfortunately, because everyone knows what his one thing is, if you're at a Vegas development camp, you could just do the same thing as everyone else and just be like, oh, Hallam, skating. Then you move on to the next guy. (laughs) And so every scouting report from even Vegas people, it's all just about the same thing. And, you know, Hallam's existence relative to Nazer and their skill sets is kind of why whenever we get in these debates in NHL about, okay, who were the fastest skaters in NHL history? Everyone's going to pull out the the big ones, right? The Coffees, Bobby Orr, Connor McDavid, etc. Well, is that true, or were those the greatest skaters who were great players? Because there's also right. uh, we we know that, <laughs> for example, Dylan Larkin is just about as fast as McDavid in a straight line in the fastest skater competition. Now we don't need to get into the litigation of the the rules. There, we'll get the Oiler fans angry in the comments. But... I hope we have Oiler fans. <laughs> listening to this um what it is is your ability to play fast during the game right there's all these players in history whose whole thing is they could fly there and and that was the only thing they could do the sammy kapanins the jeff sandersons there's there's a whole list of people whose one thing was they were really fast and to this point that hallam is the ncaa version of that his whole thing is that he is really fast he goes to the Vegas prospect camps where he's up against people who were drafted and he's the fastest guy on the ice, like by far. And there's no question who the fastest guy is. So the question for Hallam then is how do the skill sets uh, build around that? And can he make plays at top speed? How often can he get to top speed and sort of what kind of a weapon can that be? I mean, I think that he's going to get himself a lot of 
rush chances just because of the speed, right? Roman Wilson's open on like every play. <laughs> and it's just a matter of is is that coming together to make him the best wide receiver, right? Is it coming together to make Hallam the best player? Probably not yet, but maybe in a few years, if it comes together, it, it's how can this one singular skill be weaponized to mold with all the other skills that he has? So he's probably not a top six guy because given who we've talked about, they have a number of players that can push to slash crack the top six. Um, is he probably a third liner? I mean, because he doesn't seem like he's the grinder on the fourth line as no. much. He seems like such an easy bet to put on the third line. Yeah. And the nice thing about that is you put him on that line, doesn't matter who he's with. You have a transitional guy who can carry the puck off ice. And I think he's got to play on the penalty kill in some form. I don't care if that guy was. Well, Phil he's got to learn how to play on the penalty kill. First. I don't care if that guy's Phil Kessel. I don't care if he <laughs> if he has no knowledge of what defense is. You have to put him on the penalty kill because even if you let him be the Gretzky role where he hangs out up high and he doesn't defend at all, but the moment the puck is turned over, you get a breakaway guaranteed. It 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 forces pressure on the defense or the the opposing team. Power right? play, it, yeah. it forces them to play. Gretzky was a great penalty killer and he never played defense. For that yes. same reason, because it was <laughs> such a dangerous weapon that the opponent had to account for it. And that's with Hallam, that you can get guaranteed breakaways with him on the penalty kill. Just turn the puck over in the corner, flip it up in the air, boom, you got a chance going the other way. Well, and even great. if he's taking short shifts and, you know, he's only out there for 20, 30 seconds just to get his one thing, it's it's a weapon and it has to be used. Um, moving along, the, probably the third center. I mean, there's going to be some debate on, on where guys are going to fall in, but um, Gavin Brindley is mm, a nice recruit, but not probably one of the headliners. Um, also, Michigan keeps has lost almost all their centers, and so it, it's probably going to be filled by freshmen, which in some ways is a little nerve-wracking because when you have all of your centers or freshmen, like that's where all the responsibility and, and that sort of thing comes from. Um, but he's a unique sort of Swiss Army knife kind of player. He can do a lot of different things, and um, we did it again. We got another October birthday. <laughs> another guy. Is, who... I mean, this is a the thing. They, they have to be looking for this, right? Like, you don't have this many accidents. It's uncanny. He's an October birthday, so he's eligible for the next draft class. Projected somewhere in the late first round, early second round, depending. And obviously there will be tons of movement over the course of this year, as there always is during the draft cycle. So we'll see what happens there. But a guy with some pro ambitions, he played with the USA's at the U18s. So we got a little bit of scouting from some professional scouts who watched that. And he's just kind of a classic Michigan hockey player, right? If you could pick out a player a mold of skills for a player that reflects what Michigan has sought after under Mel Pearson over his tenure at Michigan, the kinds of guys they recruited. Brindley is kind of that smallish, undersized skating skill, all that kind of stuff. Right. And NHL ambitions. It's kind of just a classic package and a guy who can do a little bit of everything. And if he's on your third line and he, if he is your fourth best forward recruit, in your recruiting class, well, you did really well. Do you have any pause about having three freshmen play center? Nope, not really. Um, 
it, 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 there, there could be some things that pop up, but I would rather have them do that than any other option. Right? <laughs> well, yeah. If okay. that, it, it's one thing to have freshman centers, right? If your three centers are Jimmy Lambert, that's, I don't know, not ideal. But when your three centers are three guys who are freshmen, but they all went in the first round, like, yeah, <laughs> nice problem to have if it's a yeah. problem, right? In quotation marks. First world problems, I guess, as they would say. Right. Um, TJ Hughes is the next guy on the list. He was sort of a late ad, wasn't he? He was added in late May. He is not a member of that Hughes family. <laughs> he we is, should have sold it. Uh, no, he's from the Hammer, a Hamilton, Ontario native. <laughs> is that what they call it? It is what they call it. Um, <laughs> okay. And so, he does he hit is, like a hammer? Uh, I don't think so. That hasn't reflected on the scouting report. The most hype thing, by the way, in the OHL is when the Hamilton Bulldogs get out the hammer and they hammer a nail. Um, I don't know if it's after after big games or if it's an every game thing, but they had a good season this last year. So a lot of clips of them where they get out this like bench and they have a nail. (laughs) And then after the game, they take this like huge hammer and just, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, at the county fair where you take the hammer and make the thing go to the top. Hit hit the bell at the top. It's like that, but they're hammering a nail and that's like their celebration. There's one team that like pulls a wolf across the ceiling too. (laughs) I don't know if it's, I can't remember who it was like North Bay or something like that. All right. Okay. Anyway, back on schedule. Okay. So TJ Hughes, Hamilton, Ontario native. And played in the AJHL, which is not a league Michigan recruits out of all that often. And he played for the Brooks Bandits. And something just was crazy with Brooks Bandits last year. They were the highest scoring team in that league by a country mile. All of their players were like the top scorers in the league. Five of the top six, I think it was, in that league were all on the Brooks Bandits including him and his line mate. He was the highest goal scorer and voted the top forward. His line mate got the most points. His line mate went to Denver, maybe Um, was also a college hockey type guy. So some talent there and Hughes's production last season in that league was kind of out of nowhere. He had a fine year the year before, but then just suddenly was scoring a goal a game and an assist per game and just putting up these, insane numbers in that league and Michigan came flying in for a guy who will turn 21 here pretty shortly. So he's quite old. I don't know how to project this guy. I don't, it's not like he was tearing up this league for many years. It just kind of all finally happened and he got to play in the exhibition, presumably in Frank Nazar's place, but maybe he's the 13th forward. Maybe he finds a role. I mean, I said in the preview piece that I wrote, I don't expect him to have a big role because 21-year-old from the AJHL is just not really the profile of a guy who's going to work in, probably. But maybe it just all clicked, and maybe he showed up and he's gangbusters in practice, and there's a role for him. I don't know. No one's ever scouted this guy. He was never on NHL draft radars. He was added to the class really late, later than when they did the initial press release. They had to put out another press release for him, and they indicated that they think he's going to be a scorer at some point, and he's going to play on the power play at some point. When that is, I don't know. But my ears did perk up when I saw him in the in the lineup and he was playing center. So apparently he has the capability to do that, which at least is an asset. Oh, yeah. On this team. Well, and like it, there are worse things than taking a 21 year old and stashing him for a few years and seeing what you get, because I mean, that's what college hockey, unfortunately, has become in a lot of ways is, you know, 
you get players that are now men and they're going to play against boys. And so if you get a few of those men, then, you know, if you get the right combination or he, he might find a role. And, and that's the thing is like, you know, Michigan has 12 guys that they can probably ice ahead of him, but maybe he cracks in now, maybe in a couple of years it, it comes together and all of a sudden you have a man. I've used that a lot. A Strauss man. A Strauss man. There you go. Uh, You're making my jokes now. Man. (laughs) Okay. So last guy on the list, before we forget about Jay Karen in a second time, is Keenan Draper. He also played in the exhibition. Um, His dad's kind of famous. And that ends the knowledge of what I know about him. Yeah. Keenan Draper, I described him in the preview piece that all of the things that were said about Chris Draper in the NHL are what were said about him in the BCHL, basically. So similar profile of guy, face-off, defense, 200-foot game, penalty kill. Well, we haven't said a thing about face-offs, and Michigan lost all their face-off guys. So... They got, yeah, especially their one so in Bordelo, so Yeah, so if they... I mean, if he can win face-offs, I mean, that's a way to... At least being the 13th guy, you just start every possession and take and you your just, face off. Sort of like the lacrosse spot, you know? Yeah, you take where they the have face the guy off and then you leave. And then you run to the bench. <laughs> I um, mean, it's, it's a way to get dressed, right? It's it's feasible. And I mean, there was also, a, you know, leader. Um, okay. Intangibles, all that sort of stuff. I mean, that those were all the things that were said about Chris Draper. And they have been said about Keenan in that league. The one thing about Keenan Draper that was never said about Chris Draper was that apparently he's got a heavy shot that really he can just crank it. I don't know if it's accurate. Chris's famously was not. You know where it's going is the question. (laughs) Keenan's, I don't know, but that did make me a little interested. He played in the USHL before moving out to Chilliwack in the BC, and there was no offensive production in the USHL. So Mm. it doesn't seem like there would be in the NCAA he seems like the closest bet to be a new Garrett Van Wy. We'll see if that happens. There's always I mean, a role for a guy like that, especially down the line when he gets. There's experience. a path for him to be a fourth line center. They played LaPointe in that role in the exhibition. So we'll see if that continues. All right. Let's not forget about Jay Karen in the second time, third time. Sorry, Jay. If you're listening to this podcast, uh, you're probably our new favorite Michigan hockey player because I'm not sure that any of the players listen to the podcast. So he should that's... definitely not listen to the podcast. <laughs> Stay away, Jay. Even though that's bad, you don't. So players need to be in the zone. They don't need to be listening listening to, to us and getting yeah. smarter. Yeah. So the thing about Karenin is that you know he's played some on defense, um, had some moments, had some not great moments. He's played forward, had some moments, had some not great moments, but probably is not a terrible fit for this team, just again, because he's a guy that can play both sides of the ice. He also has been around a while. He's you know That's the thing that Michigan is lacking on this team overall, is being it freshman heavy, is they don't have a lot of guys who have been around a lot. So getting someone that can play forward and backwards. He's also in some ways the, the perfect 13th guy because a guy gets hurt, or as Michigan yep. found out last year, you get someone tossed. He can fit into well, that's either. Why, that's why he was in the lineup when he was. He didn't play a whole lot. He wasn't getting many shifts. He was just sitting on the bench. But 
waiting for a five-minute major. <laughs> Basically. Uh, and there's not a lot to say about him. It's just a nice utility to have the old yep. two-way guy. Um, yep. Yeah, he's, not much else. He's a good fit for the, for, the, for the roster. I'll say that. He's one of three players left on the roster, to my knowledge, that is older than me. So we're... In the final days of that being a thing, but are you starting to get old, Alex? <laughs> Aren't you twenty-two? I mean, as we uh, found out today. Yeah, I know. I had to change that in the piece too. <laughs> Did you but... just go in and edit it? Yeah, I mean, I make copy edits when there are things that are, you know, factually. Alex is strutting a slip power. up, and this was a a factual slip up. But um, last thing, since this podcast has gone about seven hours, I think now. Yeah, so, this is, I mean, look, you're now, you're looking like you're in the found footage. The, the, it's dark behind you. <laughs> and, and the visual. Night, yeah, very visual podcast. Visuals of this podcast. It's night, nighttime out. there. You look like, uh, you're looking for signs of a poltergeist. <laughs> well, there are plenty of TVs in this room. I might be coming out of one soon. So, um. We don't need to go over the exhibition overall because we kind of like sort of went over it throughout the podcast as just giving some highlights of what some people did. Um, Windsor's bad and Michigan didn't I mean, skate. I don't know. Too. Are they bad for their league? That's I don't know. I don't know how this I, I've heard lines up. People say that, that Windsor's not good. Okay. So um, there's it's, it's going to be kind of like this week, right? Michigan's going to play Lindenwood and you're just expecting them to steamroll them. And when I write my breakdowns, that's going to be like, okay, this is sort of what happened. I don't really know if it's contextual because, you know, sometimes Michigan plays Colorado State and UConn, and it's in a lot of ways irrelevant to the next week when they get BU. Um, So they scored eight goals, which, hey, that's good. It's still eight times you put the puck in the net against anyone. That's never a bad thing. They gave up a couple. There were a lot. You said there was a lot of penalties. Uh, Michigan's power play apparently looked okay because they scored, like, I think they went four of eight on the power play or something like that. Yeah, it was a feisty game, surprisingly, feisty. For, the exhi- for the exhibition. A lot of penalties. Not sure why that was. Um, there's not much to say about this. I don't. The only thing I was interested in in this game was the lineup. Yep. And we've talked about that at length. Otherwise, I don't care. They didn't lose. And <laughs> a, a team in the Big Ten did lose to a CIS team. Uh, so we're really? not. Yep. They are uh, They are a hockey team that is without a football coach on this fine Monday. So you <laughs> oh, can boy. figure out who that is. But not great yeah. uh, for a coach of hockey that seemingly needs to redeem himself. Um, can they fire all their coaches? And- <laughs> That's not a thing. Uh, well, the other one will get fired if he's involved in another slapping incident. But uh, <laughs> anyway, Michigan didn't lose, and that's all you really care about. So yeah, now we're on um, to Lindenwood. Yeah, uh, they've never been relevant in D one before, have they? Well, they're not relevant D one because they were not in D one. Well, hard, go. hard to be relevant when you're yeah. not there. Um, they were a very successful team at the AHCA level. They won the national championship, I believe, either last year or the year before. Now they're moving up to D1. They decided to welcome themselves into D1 by playing Minnesota and then Michigan in consecutive weekends. Well, it can't get worse then, right? Well, (laughs) it's clear why they wanted to do that. Um, They needed to pad the bank account and get the program 
on wheels, basically. Yeah. And I don't know why Michigan scheduled them. I would have preferred Mercyhurst or something like that. At least a program that has been in D1 for more than a week. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, there's a Michigan connection deep in there somewhere. And Michigan's so, throwing somebody a bone. There's not a connection to... U of M, but there is a connection to the state of Michigan and hockey. The coach of Lindenwood is Rick Zombo, who anyone who's listening to this and recognizes the name Rick Zombo, please tweet at me or comment on this podcast. But (laughs) I don't even know Rick Zombo is. Rick Zombo was a defenseman for the Red Wings in the late 1980s into the early 1990s, who then played with the Blues, which is presumably how he ended up at Lindenwood because they are in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. So he probably just stayed there. But when I was looking at Lindenwood and I saw Rick Zombo, I was like, is it that Rick Zombo? And there's probably not multiple Zombos (laughs) in hockey. Well, that honestly, the truth is, I remember a lot of things, but I don't remember a lot of names like that. And typically, (laughs) and the only way I would have remembered Rick Zombo's name is because his name was Rick Zombo. And it was an extremely (laughs) unusual last name. (laughs) And uh, so I saw that and was kind of like, wow, that's a that's a name. And so that's his connection to, to the state of Michigan. That's pretty much the Lindenwood preview, is it? Whoever not? whoever in the state of Michigan still has a Red Wings Rick Zombo jersey. I, wow. I, I will get you free tickets to this game. If you <laughs> contact me and want to go to the game with the Rick Zombo Red Wings jersey. So they have to wear the jersey. And then I'll take you straight to the pawn shop from Pawn Stars and we'll get it appraised. <laughs> and then to Culver's. All right, this podcast is over. Do you have uh, anything well, else to say? Yeah, the one last thing is you wanted to say a couple of things about the overall. We didn't get into oh. the Big Ten yet, obviously, yeah. because that will be another hour. And I think that if things go the way that we think, they will probably go next week. We will do that in the second segment. We'll just look at the rest of the Big Ten. But because you said that the people that want to listen to a three-hour podcast want to hear what we think Michigan can and might be in – an overall sense, um, you know, we started it by talking about does the, do they make sense as a top six team? And you couldn't answer that right away, which was what my point is, is that there is an argument that they could. So, yeah, I think Michigan could be by the end of the year a top 10 team. They may not be to start because of Asian issues and people trying to find their roles. Um, Minnesota does bring back a lot. Uh, sort of the opposite of what Michigan does. Uh... So. I, I've been radicalized into an anti-Minnesota agenda doing Ooh. my uh, preseason. Not anti-Minnesota. I think they'll be a fine team. I don't see why they're the number one team in the country or why anyone thinks they are a cut above Michigan, to be frank with you. Um, I think that, you know, again, this is a segment for next week, but they lost a lot on the, on the forward level. Yeah. And, and so they bring back their entire defense for some reason, but none of their forwards except for Matthew Nyes. Uh, so they're going to have some issues, you know, gelling their forwards, too. And I like Michigan's goalie more than them. So I, I think those teams are on a similar level. So um, Michigan, it's not. I like Denver more than Michigan. I like a few other teams yeah. in the country. But in the Big Ten, I think Michigan, Notre Dame, and Minnesota are right there at the top. And you've got two teams that are hyper-talented and but have some areas on the team that will need to gel. And then you've got a very veteran team that if those two slip up in the fall, could bank some points and be hard to, to catch in the second half. So I think that top level is is pretty tight. Michigan should be in a competitive race for the conference. And and they'll find out early against those teams because I right. think that they get Minnesota 
at Yoast early, and they go to Notre Dame, which honestly, they get, I'm happy to get that Notre Dame series out of the it's way. A, it's a road-heavy Big Ten fall portion. So for buck up you football fans, you don't have as much jostling to do in your scheduling. Yeah, Minnesota comes to Yoast the weekend before Thanksgiving, which is the Illinois Illinois, Illinois weekend. Thursday, yeah. Friday. It's a Thursday, Friday, which, which is nice. Beautiful scheduling. Um, and Michigan's non-conference, which I guess we can put in next week's show because we don't need it this week, but they play some teams that I think will also test them a little bit. I'm very yep. high on that Boston U team that is coming into Yost pretty soon here. I like the Harvard team that's coming in over Thanksgiving. So there will be some tests and Western's going to take a step back, but they're feisty and <laughs> they've been waiting e- for this game for a year. They've been waiting for this game. Right? <laughs> e- each morning they wake up and there's a picture of Mel Pearson and crosshairs in the living room, right? They right, right over the kitchen table each morning. They eat their cereal. Um, oh, and apparently, since he's at the games, it still applies. But anyway. Uh, um, touching on everything today. Yeah. So, look, I think this is going to be a good Michigan team. It, it might take a little bit of time, but they have a very high floor, which it, with a good goalie in net, a lot of returning production on the blue line. And then, you know, again, you want to compare it to Minnesota. I don't care. This is a better forward class than Minnesota. Like it just is top to bottom. No, no, not even a debate. Minnesota brought in two first round picks. Michigan brought in four. Minnesota brought in a crazy, highly caliber recruit in Logan Cooley. Michigan has their version of Logan Cooley, who might be even better. Um, Michigan's got all the talent in the world here. I don't know if they're less talented than last year, to be frank with you. I mean, okay, swap out Beniers while we plugged in Fantilli. Swap out Bordelau while we plugged in Frank Nazar, right? Swap out. Brennan Brisson, we plugged in Rucker McGurry. Swap, it, swap yeah. out uh, whatever name we're forgetting. Kent Johnson. Kent Johnson. There's, there's, there's Gavin Brindley. I mean, maybe there's the Owen Power drop off, but Seamus Casey's a fine player, and you have a little more experience on the back end. I mean, uh, it, the only difference from last year to me is the is the less experience, and that could result in some clunkers early on. But last year, there were some games in the fall I would have wanted back too. So. It's kind of hard to say, but I think this is a, a good team, a fun team, and hopefully it gets the Nerado era rolling. Well, and, and that's he, that's and the piece that we're not 100% sure about is that yep, yep. you and I have been at times skeptical of Mel's coaching. He, obviously, he could recruit, and there's the hope that there's a jump that the team could make with some more innovative stu- in-game stuff from yeah, certainly in the, in the coaching, and we'll see how Nerado proves as as a recruiter. It's going to take a, a few years to get a sense of that. Obviously, I think there's going to be a season in here um, where they'll have a lighter recruiting class than normal. The the class where they're just starting to talk to the 16 year olds. That one is probably going to be a little light, just because Nerado is probably going to go after different guys too. So it'll take That's a true. little bit of time for him to put his fingerprints on the program. But right here, right away. Um, it's pretty darn good. And we did this on the MGO radio last week with the gimmicky top five greatest, um, contrasts and Seth's layup was the state of Mel Tucker's program after he leaves Colorado versus the state of Mel Pearson's program after he leaves. Mm. And that one is pretty apt. It's hard to complain if you're Brandon Arado coming in with this level of talent. Yep. Seven o'clock Friday and Saturday. BTN plus. So it's time to subscribe to that again and should be, shouldn't be too hard for Michigan. You would hope that they don't struggle too much with, 
with Lindenwood. And no, then... I mean, Minnesota outshot them in shot attempts by a ton both nights. The second one was dicey because the non-just-enclosed goalie was in, and I didn't watch the game, but doesn't seem great. So if Michigan plays Portillo both nights, I have no concerns. All right. If you've made it this far and you want to go to the game, get a Rick Zamba jersey, contact Alex, and he will take you and then buy you Culver's. for listening to Michigan Hockey Cast 5.1 for Alex Drain and David Nasternak. Come back next week for a podcast that is shorter and more on the rails. Thank you.